Welcome everyone to Daf Yomi, one week at a time, Masachet Nedarim. Uh, this is our 13th and final Shi'ur of Masachet Nedarim. Uh, we are going to be celebrating the completion of this Masachet. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe to the next Masachet, uh, Masachet Nazir. Um, I will say this again at the end, but unfortunately I have to uh, make a change again for next week, but hopefully that'll be the end of changes. Uh, but we will going to be having class on Sunday uh, instead of Tuesday next week. I will send out an email, uh, so I apologize. Um, but uh, it's it's about the learning. Uh, and if you can't make it, unfortunately, to the live class, you can always uh, download it uh, afterwards. Okay, so uh, today we are going to be learning DAF 85 through 91, um, and we are continuing to discuss um, the idea of um, a woman taking a vow and when her husband or father can revoke that vow. Uh, so on DAF 85, the Mishnah tells us, uh, let's say a woman says, um, anything I produce, right, uh, in my work is forbidden to my father. Or she says, right, she's married and she says it's going to be forbidden to my father or to your father or to anybody else. The husband cannot revoke it because it does not affect the husband. Um, right, if she says it's forbidden to you, uh, now, interesting, if you remember in Masechet Ketuvot, um, he actually here, the Mishnah tells us, the husband does not need to revoke it because she has an obligation to give anything that she makes over to her husband. If you remember in Masechet Ketuvot, there was an understanding that the husband will support the wife as long as the wife will give whatever income she makes to her husband. Um, Rabbi Akiva says that she should that he should revoke this vow because maybe she's going to make more than she needs to give him. If you remember, there was a discussion in Masachek to vote. How much does she have to give him? Right? Does it need to be uh, equal to the amount that he supports her? Does it need to be a minimum amount? And what happens if she produces more? Right? If we there was a case of a woman working overtime, does she have to give that money? to her husband or not. Um, so Rabbi Akiva says um, he should revoke this vow because that overtime money, the extra money, is really hers. And if he doesn't revoke it, it will be forbidden to him. Or uh, another opinion is that he should revoke it, not because she has to give him this extra money, um, but because we're concerned that maybe they'll get uh, divorced and then he can't, if he remarries her, now he cannot uh, revoke the vow anymore because it was a vow from her previous marriage, even though it's to the same person, uh, and therefore he cannot revoke the vow afterwards. Okay, that's the Mishnah. The Gemara now explains, um, hold on, How, right, the Gemara asks, how is it possible that she's able to forbid something that she hasn't produced yet? Uh, so the Gemara asked, can you, let's say, not only forbid, but in other cases, can you sanctify something that doesn't exist yet? Uh, this is actually a machloket that we have seen before. Uh, and this seems to imply that you can, because she says, anything I'm going to produce in the future is going to be forbidden. Uh, the Gemara says no, right? Maybe only on, as we mentioned, the extra produce, or maybe the issue is that vows are different, meaning sanctifying something is different than taking a vow against something, right? You can't sanctify something that doesn't exist, but with vows, you can, um, because we see that I can forbid something on me that is not even in my possession, right? If I say uh, my neighbor's food is forbidden to me, that's not something that uh, exists for me, uh, and but I still have the power to forbid it. Or another option is that she's not really sanctifying the 
things in the future. Rather, what is she saying? She's going to sanctify her hands, right? Anything that these hands produce will be sanctified or forbidden to you. And the hands exist, right? And therefore, right, um, eh, right so therefore she could forbid it. Uh, but the, another question is, wait a minute, but her hands belong to her husband. What does that mean? Right? He has the rights to anything that her hands create. So how could that be? Uh, so we say, oh, again, uh, maybe only in the future, maybe once she gets divorced, her hands become her own. Um, and maybe we are talking about sanctifying something in the future. Um, the Gemara continues on Daph 96. Again, uh, they bring another case of sanctifying a field. Uh, let's say you say, I own a field. I'm going to sell it. And then when I buy it back, it's going to be sanctified. So again, it seems to be saying that, um, it seems to be saying that you're sanctifying something that is not in your possession afterward right in the in the interim so the gemara says no it's different right with a field once you sell it it's not yours so maybe that doesn't work but again the woman's hands are really hers um so maybe she does have the right the ability to forbid whatever she produces to her husband um or maybe a different way to understand this is with a field, right? If someone sells a field, you can always buy it back, um, but she can't control, right, when she, again, I don't want to use the, the term, but right, when she buys herself, she cannot, um, a woman cannot necessarily control when she's going to get divorced, uh, and therefore it's not in her control. So uh, it seems that, again, um, she does have the ability to forbid it, whether it's because she's forbidding something that he does not have control over, or if we were talking about the fact that she's controlling, uh, she's forbidding what her hands produce, and they exist, uh, and they exist already. Um, we learn also that the vow takes effect right away, right? And therefore, he needs to revoke it. Um, because again, we said, maybe he's going to divorce her and maybe he needs it revoked, but he can't wait till that happens because then it's too late. Okay, the next Mishnah on Daf 86, um, the wife, a wife makes a vow, but he, the husband thought that it was the daughter that made the vow and he revokes it thinking, it's the wrong person who made the vow or the opposite. Um, or let's say she made, the wife made a vow to be a Nizira, which we'll talk more about next week. Um, but he thought it was only about the sacrifice, not about the actual vow. Or he thought um, that her vow was not, um, not to eat one thing, but it was another, right? Let's say he thought she took a vow to not eat figs, but she took a vow to not eat grapes, and he revokes it. In all of these cases, he needs to go back and revoke it again, right? Meaning, he needs to be uh, very particular about what he's revoking, and if there's a mistake, it doesn't work. Uh, the Gemara explains, the, the verse says, he restrains her, right? And he, meaning his wife, um, and he has to know who made the vow. But if he makes a mistake, he needs to redo it. Um, and the Gemara says, well, wait a minute, uh, on Daf 87, uh, maybe he really doesn't need to know. Maybe he needs to know somebody in his family made a vow. Uh, they bring the case of a, uh, they draw a parallel to a different case which is when someone hears about a, a, fam, a close family member who passes away uh, and they tear their clothing, right? In Hebrew, this is called tearing kriya. Uh, you, you render your garments, you rip your garments as a sign of mourning. Um, so the, the Gemara brings the case that let's say they told a person that, you know, so-and-so died, right? Their brother, their someone. Uh, and then the person tears their clothing 
And then it turns out there was actually for another, right? They made a mistake. It wasn't uh, this person, it was that person. Um, so the Gemara says that person does not need to tear their clothing again. So that seems to imply that it doesn't have to be specific. Um, but um, it, it's interesting, the Gemara says, however, right, if someone was told that it was their father, and it turns out that really it was their brother, so it's not valid, and you do have to tear again, um, and therefore, um, so too with vows, uh, again, it needs to be very specific, and if it's not, it needs to be redone, right? Or, the Gemara suggests, um, the difference in the cases is that if they change the information in a short amount of time, so then it works. But if not, then it is not valid, and they have to rip it again. Um, okay, uh, ah, so here uh, there's a concept of some of like changing what your your mind or changing what you say very quickly. In Hebrew, the term is toch kedei dibur. Right? If I change my mind, this we see a lot when we're talking about brachot. Right? I take something and I say, Baruch Hashem, na 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 na, Borei Pri Haetz, I mean Hadama. Right? So if you change it right away, then it's valid. You do not have to repeat the bracha. Uh, it is a valid bracha. If you wait a certain amount of time, it is a short amount of time, but it's still considerable, uh, then we say you invalidated uh, the previous statement, and therefore you have to do it again. Um, okay, however, interestingly, uh, the, so the Gemara says, in general, that's the case. You can change your mind, um, but it doesn't work in the following cases. Uh, if you curse God, even if you retract it a second later, too late, uh, right? As my mother used to say, if it came out of your mouth, that's it. Uh, you know, it, it's out already. Uh, so so the, the Gemara actually says, uh, if you curse God, even if you retract it right away, it doesn't count, meaning you still are, you transgressed. Um, or if you worship idols, uh, again, if within that second you say, oh, no, 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 never mind, I didn't mean it, doesn't count. Um, or if you, and the, the last case is, if you betroth a woman, kiddushin, or you divorce a woman, right, gerushin, you cannot take it back, right? Hareat mikudeshet li. Oh, no, 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 never mind. No, 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 it doesn't work. As soon as you say it, that's it. Uh, and the same thing with you are uh, divorced, uh, that is it. If you want to, uh, you know, take it back, you need to, you know, get remarried. But there's no, uh, no backsies, as they say in uh, kindergarten. Uh, it doesn't work. Um, okay, uh, next Mishnah. Again, and I, I think I want to, I mean, I'll say this at the end, but I think uh, we've seen this throughout this Masechet, um, the importance or the weight of our words. Right, they matter, uh, and we've really been seeing this for the past, uh, you know, 90 days. Uh, the importance of words, the power that they hold, um, and again, like the consequences to our to our words. Uh, so we can we'll we'll talk maybe a little bit more about that at the end. Uh, next Mishnah, um, the wife says, "I won't eat figs and grapes," and if the husband says. I uphold the vow for figs, meaning, good job, I don't want you to eat figs. Um, the Mishnah says there's no such thing as partial, and therefore, if the husband upheld the figs, he upheld the whole vow. Um, that's for upholding. However, to revoke, right, to, to the husband to get rid of the vow, if he revokes only the figs, it doesn't work, right? The whole vow is is in place till he revokes the whole thing. Uh, and the Mishnah explains that this is based on a verse, not necessarily because of a logical reason, uh, but it's based on a verse. Um, the Mishnah continues, if she says, I won't eat figs and I won't eat grapes. 
Now we see that as two separate vows, and then he can uphold or revoke each vow separately. Um, okay, the Gemara says, right, there's a machloket if you can uphold part of a vow, and then the whole thing is upheld, uh, and if it's the same for revoking, or they are different laws, and therefore there is a distinction. Next, Mishnah, um, the husband knows that his wife made a vow, but he didn't know that he could revoke it, right? He didn't realize that he had that ability. Uh, so whenever he finds out, he can revoke it afterwards. Um, let's say he knew he had that ability, but he didn't realize that what she said was actually a vow. Um, Rabbi Meir says he cannot revoke it because he had partial knowledge. Chachamim say he can, meaning this partial knowledge is okay. The Gemara explains, right, that this idea of partial knowledge, um, we see it in another context. Uh, we see it when a person uh, kills someone accidentally. Rotzeach uh, b'shogeg, right? Someone who does it um, um, not on purpose, accidentally. The question is, what if that person was blind? Because the verse says, and he didn't see the person, right? He didn't see that person there, and he accidentally killed him. What if he actually couldn't have seen him, right? If he was blind, does he still fall under this category of someone who um, has killed someone by accident? Uh, there's a special law for this person. Uh, the person needs to go to uh, a city of refuge, to an ir miklat. Uh, this is a place where uh, he needs to stay uh, so that the relatives of the person that he killed do not try to kill him. So the question is, if a blind person accidentally kills someone, can the blind person also go to the city of refuge? Uh, and the Gemara discusses there's actually a machloket. Um, if the verse includes the blind person or excludes the blind person. Because again, um, is, again, this idea, is partial knowledge enough uh, of knowledge or not? Um, okay, Daf 88, the Mishnah says, um, uh, let's say a man says, uh, my son-in-law cannot benefit from me, right? I don't like the man that my daughter married. Uh, I'm not giving him a penny. But now he forgets that his daughter is actually married to that son-in-law, and he wants to give his daughter some money. So how does he do that? So he can say, right, I'm giving you this money. Don't share it with your husband. And it's only yours when you buy food with it and you put it in your mouth. Why is that important? Uh, so that does work. Uh, why is that important? Because if the father didn't add the second side of that, uh, of that vow, then as soon as the daughter acquires the money, right, what happens? We learned in Masachek to vote, as soon as the wife acquires something, it directly transfers to the husband. Uh, and therefore, as soon as the, the father gave her money, the husband would now acquire it. Um, so therefore, he has to say, it only becomes yours when you eat it, right? Once you eat it, uh, the husband does not acquire it, and that is the end of the story. Or um, another opinion is it does work. Uh, she does not need to, um, you know, he doesn't have to say that second line about eating it. And as long as he says this is only for you, it does work. Uh, it is important to understand, right, how does this, um, how can the, the father uh, designate money specifically to his daughter, which he can. It's important to understand that he can do that, um, but, you know, in a, in a very particular way. Uh, so the Gemara explains, um, in a completely different case, let's do a little uh, chazara, some review from a long time ago, Masechet um, Eruvin. We learned that we need to create a communal area. Uh, let's say they, they weren't able to get their act together before Shabbat. We said, we learned that one person can put 
uh, where this is talking about um, connecting numerous courtyards in the alleyway. Uh, the term was shituf mevoot. Uh, so what do we do? Uh, a person can put a barrel of food in the alleyway. Another person can acquire that barrel. And by acquiring, by that person acquiring it, everybody in the area has now become a part of the Erov. Now, the, 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 I think, I'm not sure if it was the Mishnah over there or it's a Brita, um, but it says over there that if the husband puts it out, the wife can acquire it. Now the Gemara says, wait a minute, if the wife can, um, if the wife can acquire it, so then we see that she's not connected to the husband, right? If she can acquire it for everybody else, then maybe uh, she is different. So the Gemara says, no, um, that's only the case where, first of all, the first answer is, no, Eruvin is different, right? We want to include everybody. Then in that case, the wife can acquire it for everybody else. Or another option is that she actually owns some property in that um, alleyway, meaning off of that alleyway in another courtyard. She is actually a property owner, and therefore when she's acquiring it, she's acquiring it as a property owner, not as the wife of the person who put the barrel in the alley. Okay, next Mishnah. Um, the, um, okay, the vow of a, so ah, the, there's a verse that says that the vow of a widow or a divorcee is valid. So uh, the question is, what is this teaching? Uh, so it's teaching that a, there's nobody who can revoke it, right? If a, a, a woman was, is divorced, um, she does not return to her father's home. Uh, she's actually, uh, if she's young, um, she's actually, well, sorry, we'll, we'll get to that case in a minute. Let's, let's wait for that. Um, it, let's say she says that she's going to, ah, let's say there's, a, okay, a woman says, um, I'm going to be a Nizira, a Nazarite, in 30 days. And she's single when she says that. And then she gets married in the interim, right? Within those 30 days, the husband cannot revoke the vow, right? Because it was taken before they were married. If she, so now we're on Daf 89, Let's say she's married and she takes a vow, I'll be a Nizira in 30 days. Even if she is widowed or divorced by the end of that period, he can actually revoke it, right, whenever he hears it, as long as they're still married. Um, because, uh, and we're going to see, um, when a person has the, the ability to revoke a vow. Let's wait till the Gemara. Next case in the Mishnah, if she gets married, okay, so this is a very busy woman, okay? She gets married on the same day, she makes a vow, then he divorces her, then he remarries her, all on the same day, please do not try this at home, he cannot revoke the vow anymore. Remember we said, as soon as he divorces her, when he remarries her, he is not allowed to revoke anything that she took from her previous marriage. Um, okay, let's go to the Gemara. So remember we talked about this idea of um, in 30 days and her status changes within those 30 days. So the Gemara explains that there's a machloket if the husband can revoke it, right? Do we go according to when the vow goes into effect? And therefore, if she in 30 days is married, maybe now the husband can revoke it. Or do we go according to when the vow was taken? And that only works if she's married when it was taken. So um, it's a difference of opinion, um, and that is a machloket. Right? Let's say she says, I will be a nizira when I get divorced. I guess she has some plans for her future. Um, same machloket, right? Do we go according to um, the fact that she's taking it now, so she's married, or it goes into effect only when she's divorced, and therefore he has no power to divorce her? Um, okay, and both of these opinions are based on a verse. Um, 
And again, we see that our Mishnah seems to be focusing on um, on the days and not, right, again, when it goes into effect, not when it was taken. Um, if the, a father gave his daughter to the husband's messengers, right? So uh, we'll see this more in Masach Kiddushin. Uh, what would happen, right? There would be an agreement between the father and the uh, fiancé. Uh, let's say they don't live in the same town. Uh, so obviously, if everything is great, they would all get together and have a beautiful wedding and uh, live happily ever after. But let's say they lived far away from each other. Sometimes, right, they would send messengers uh, again, to either pick up the, the daughter or send the daughter to him, right? So there could be messengers of the, or agents of the father. There could be agents of the husband. Uh, and the, the Gemara always discusses as soon as the bride changes hands to either the husband or his agents, it's as if he, um, you know, she is in his, I don't want to use the word possession. So uh, she she is in his domain. Let's put it that way. Um, so here, right, if the father sends the girl to the husband's messengers or the father's messengers gave the girl to the husband's messengers, the husband can't revoke any vows made before that, meaning it's seen almost, again, they're not married yet, but it's seen as she has now been um kind of uh, accepted into his domain uh, and now it's almost like they're married and therefore he cannot revoke anything that was taken before. Okay, next Mishnah. The next Mishnah tells us there are nine young girls who their vows go into effect right away, meaning nobody has the ability to revoke their vows. Who are these nine girls? So we have um, a uh, an adult girl. Again, don't forget, don't get confused. It means she's 12 and a half. Uh, the term is a bogeret. And she is, now this is a new term, yitoma uh, bechaye aviha. She's an orphan while her father is still alive. What does that mean? It means that if a girl is young, meaning a ne'ara, under 12 and a half, then if she gets widowed or divorced, she goes back to her father's home. As soon as she is an adult, she does not go back to her father's home. I mean, she could literally go back to her, her father's home, but she does not fall under his responsibility in the sense that he is no longer allowed to revoke her vows because now she is a, this woman, this woman uh, is a bogeret, an adult, and she has uh, the ability to take vows and nobody can revoke them. So that's number one. Um, what if she took a vow as a na'ara, but now she is a bogeret? Again, she is now uh, an adult. So now again, the father has no right to revoke her vows. Uh, let's say she again is a na'ara, and again, um, um, let's say she does get divorced, so maybe she does not go back to her father's house, and she is again yetoma bechaye aviha. Her father does not have any uh, um, ability to revoke her vows. Um, next, a, an adult, and now when they use the word yot, um, she's a yetoma, an orphan, we mean really her father died, um, or she is she was young, she got, she became an adult, and again, her father died, or if she's young and her father died, right, she, she just doesn't have, it. her father doesn't, uh, isn't around anymore. Um, or again, she's young, her father died, and now she's an adult. Bottom line, there's no adult male in her life that can revoke her vow. Um, if she's a bogeret and her father is still alive, again, once she is an adult, he cannot revoke her vows. Uh, if she was young when she took the vow, but now she's an adult, even if the father is alive, uh, he does not have any control. Okay, the Gemara says, right, really you could have summarized this by saying there are really three girls, either a bogeret, she's an adult, 
she's a yetoma, meaning her father died, or yetoma bechaye aviha, uh, right? She was married and either widowed or divorced in the meantime. Um, next Mishnah, a woman says, I won't get benefit from my father or from your father if I do something for you, right? If I do X, now I'm not going to get any benefit or the opposite. Um, the husband can revoke it even though it's conditional, right? If, if I do X, then Y. You do not need to wait till it kicks in in order to revoke it. Um, the Gemara explains it's a machloket, right? If a woman takes a vow with conditions, if he can revoke it, right? Even if the vow doesn't go into effect yet, right? It hasn't gone into effect. Can he revoke it or not? Um, if a person made a vow that, um, that they cannot benefit from anyone, um, if, ah, sorry, okay, a man takes a vow that he will not benefit from anyone if he gets married before he learns Torah, right? He decides he needs to learn everything. I will not um, benefit from anyone if I get married before I learned. Uh, and then, this is actually a, a, a story, right? So he learned, but not enough. And then Rav Acha Barhuna basically says, that was a silly vow. He doesn't say it, but he thinks that that was a silly vow. So he tricks the man into getting married. And then he makes the man's clothing all dirty so that he would need to get them laundered, right? To get them laundered is benefiting from somebody else. And now he says, ah, now that the vow went into effect, right? Now you can go get your vow annulled. Uh, we're now on Duff 90. Um, so this seems to imply that the vow has to go into effect before you can annul it, right? He showed that, um, uh, sorry, one second. Ah, so this showed that there is a machloket about annulling a vow with a condition. Again, do you have to wait till the condition is upheld and the vow goes into place before annulling it or not? Or maybe the machloket is only about revoking a vow and not annulling it. Again, just to remind ourselves, to annul a vow is when a person goes to an expert to find a petach, to find something... Uh, Right? If I only would have known X, I never would have taken the vow. Revoking means the husband or the father doing it for the wife or the daughter. Okay, next. Um, I won't get benefit from so-and-so, and I can't get benefit from the person that I'm going to ask if I go ask to annul it. Right? Like you want to make sure that you're not going to annul it, so you say like a double kind of vow. Um, so then the Gemara says he has to annul the first vow, then you can annul the second vow. Uh, the, then the Brisa says, wait a minute, which one is first, which one is second, how do I know which one? So it doesn't seem to prove whether or not you have to wait for the, the condition to go into effect. Uh, let's say the person says, I won't benefit from, again, this person, and I'll be a Nazir when I try to annul it. Again, he asked, the person has to annul the first vow. Then you can annul the second vow. Um, so that does seem to prove that you have to wait till it goes into effect. Um, the Brita says, no, there's actually a machloket about revoking. Um, but everyone agrees that with annulling, you can annul even though it didn't go into effect. And this is uh, based on a verse, right? And therefore, uh, there is a distinction. Okay, next Mishnah. Um, at first, okay, so um, this is, I think this is our, yes, this is uh, the last Mishnah of the Masechet. Um, I, 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 I don't want to say there's a trigger warning, but I'm just going to say that this Masechet does not end with some stories that are happily ever after. Uh, but we'll discuss them. We will discuss them and come to our conclusions, but I'm just putting it out there. Okay. Um, the Mishnah says, originally, uh, the following three women, uh, when they made these the following claims, 
they were believed and therefore they get divorced um, and they get their ktuva money. Who are these three women? Uh, the wife of a Kohen, of a priest that was violated. Um, she, if you remember, we did do this in uh, previous Masechtot. Um, she must get divorced, meaning they are not allowed to remain married, even though it was uh, against her will. Um, but uh, here she gets divorced and she does get her ktuba money. The next woman is a woman who says that her husband is impotent and sexual relations are not um, productive. Uh, and um, he cannot get her pregnant, and she needs to have children in order to support her. Uh, again, it's interesting, if you remember, uh, a woman doesn't have the mitzvah to have children, so she can't claim, I need to fulfill the mitzvah, but she can say, I need children to support me, um, and therefore, um, she is allowed to, to be divorced, and she gets her ketuvah. The third woman is a woman who prohibits relations with all men, right? We saw this in this Masachat. She takes a vow that she will not have relations with anybody. Uh, and this seems to imply she's saying that relations are painful for her. Uh, therefore, we believe her uh, and she can get divorced with her ktuva money. Unfortunately, uh, later on, the Mishnah explains that later on, historically, they retracted the 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 idea that they believe these women, uh, lest a woman, uh, you know, desires another man, and then she can claim one of these things. Uh, and again, as we mentioned, um, originally she didn't really need to bring any proof. We just believed her testimony. Um, here, the Gemara says, uh, sorry, the Mishnah says that later on, uh, I guess uh, maybe women took advantage of this. Uh, and therefore, um, if she brings proof, obviously they will believe her, but we do not believe her on her statement alone. And each one of these women um, are still permitted to her husband. Now, if you remember, we just said, if a priest's wife, if a Kohen's wife was violated, she is not allowed to be with him. Here, we're basically saying that we don't believe it, um, and therefore, they can stay married. Um, more on that in a little bit. Um, again, for the male potency, again, um, they should act by means of request, says the Mishnah. What does that mean, it, by means of request? Either it means that they ask her to not talk about it, or they will pray for her that uh, she should have a child, uh, but either way, she needs to stay married, or they're going to ask the husband very nicely to divorce her, but they're not going to make him divorce her. Uh, and the last one with the vow against relations, he revokes his part and he can have relations with her uh, and she remains forbidden to everyone else. Let's keep going in the Gemara and we'll come back to this maybe at the end. Um, so the Gemara says, um, it's actually a machloket um, about this, the Kohen's wife, if she can, uh, we said they have to stay married. What about can she eat truma, right? Again, truma was food only allowed to the Kohen or anybody in his family. So the Gemara says, yes, right? Even though she made this accusation, this statement, um, again, based on the, the second part of the Mishnah, where let's say she is not believed, uh, we say she's full-fledged married to her husband, she can eat truma. Again, we don't want people to start rumors about her children, uh, right? We don't want people to say that her children are illegitimate, uh, and therefore um, she is allowed to eat truma. Or another opinion, no, she cannot eat truma because let her eat the other food that's in the house that's not truma, right? Hulin, regular food. Um, and people won't question the children's status um, hopefully. Um, or maybe we can say if she's widowed, meaning let's say the husband died, then she can't eat truma um, because again, people might assume that she was violated after she died. Um, daf 91, our last daf of our Masechet. Uh, again, uh, the Gemara asks, 
do we believe a woman who says, uh, he, you divorced me, right? So now what's the question, right? She says, you divorced me, but I don't have the get. I lost it. Do we believe her? So the Gemara says, our Mishnah implied that we don't believe her to say that she was raped because the husband doesn't know the truth, right? He doesn't know what happened. But here, a husband knows if he divorced his wife. Uh, and therefore, um, she would never lie to his face. Uh, and therefore, we believe her, right? The line in the Gemara is, right, Chazaka, it is, um, it is assumed that isha mi'iza paneha bifnei ba'ala, right? A woman would never be so brazen as to lie in front of her husband, right? When she knows that he knows that she knows the truth. Uh, so in that case, we say that we do believe her about divorce or, because we're in the Gemara, there has to be another option, right? Or the opposite, right? She wouldn't lie about being raped. And again, I'd like to say uh, that this is um, very, again, progressive of the Gemara to say, right, that a woman would not make this story up. And therefore, right, it's, it's embarrassing for her to say. It's very difficult for her to say. So if she's saying it, she means it. Um, but, right, and she's not going to lie, but she would lie about divorce because maybe she's in a fight and she just wants to get back at her husband. Um, so uh, the Gemara says, right, according to the later revision of the Mishnah, um, she isn't believed about something um, only that she and her husband knows. Uh, and maybe her husband doesn't know uh, when we're talking about relations, right? When we said, she says, oh, excuse me, she says that my husband is impotent. He's not able to, uh, the, the way they say it uh, in the Gemara, he is not able to yorekechetz right? The, the ejaculation is not strong enough. Uh, so the Gemara says, right, that's something that he knows and that's something that she knows. The Gemara says, well, maybe not, right? Maybe he knows that they had relations, but she really knows uh, if it was uh, effective or not. Uh, and from here, uh, we have two stories of women who basically imply uh, that they um that or sorry they say that they had relations or they do an action uh that says that it, to their husband that they had relations with their husband like last night right one case is um a woman uh every morning after they had relations she would wash her husband's hands so the morning they wake up she washes her husband's hands he says why are you doing that we didn't have relations last night she says what do you mean? Then I guess it must have been some of the non-Jews that were sleeping over in our house. I guess it wasn't you. Uh, and again, if he is a Kohen, that seems to imply that they need to get divorced. Uh, the other case is she's very mad at her husband in the morning and he says, why are you so upset? And she says, well, it really hurt last night and it never did before. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. And she says, oh, I guess it was somebody else. Um, and in both cases, the Gemara says we don't believe her and they stay married, right? They are permitted to one another uh, and they stay married. Um, so that seems to be uh, interesting. The assumption is she's trying to get out of their marriage. Um, and uh, the Gemara says we, we say no, uh, they stay married. Um, two more stories uh, that are a little crazy, um, stories of, um, how would I say, potential adulterers, uh, right? There is a man who is seen, uh, who, who's in a married woman's house, uh, and then uh, the husband comes home, and the man uh, escapes uh, basically out the side, not the back door, uh, but the side, not even door, he like breaks through the wall, uh, and the husband, like, and he, he, you know, the husband sees him. Uh, so the Gemara says, well, the fact that he didn't go out the back door proves that he wasn't that embarrassed, which means that they didn't have an affair and she is still permitted to her husband. Uh, and the last story of the Gemara 
is uh, once upon a time there was a woman and a it says a noeth an adulterer so I don't know if that means a professional adulterer but uh, a man with a reputation uh, he comes to her house um, the husband comes home early from work the adulterer hides behind the curtain uh, the husband uh, is about to eat something off of the the dining room table uh, the the adulterer who's hiding behind the curtain knows that it's poisonous a snake ate it um and he jumps out of from behind the curtain and he says no 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 don't eat it so the gemara says that proves that uh they never had an affair because if he was really an adulterer then uh he would want the husband to die so he would let him eat it and the fact that he stops him means that they didn't uh, that they didn't have an affair, uh, and the woman can be with her husband, and they all live happily ever after. Hadran alach masechet nedarim. Now, you might all be wondering, uh, the, you know, those of you who have been learning this for the past three years, uh, we know that generally at the end of a masechet, uh, we have something that's feel good, we have a nice story, uh, we have a nice life lesson. Uh, that does not seem to be the case uh, in this Masechet. And, um, you know, I ask myself why. Uh, you know, why are we ending on this type of a story? Um, and um, I think, and, and I did mention this previously, and uh, I would even, maybe we can open it up for discussion for two minutes. Um, I, I think that uh, part of this, uh, a, a major undercurrent of this Masechet was the idea of trying to preserve a marriage. Uh, and we want to make sure, right, again, we would say go to therapy, right, but maybe don't get divorced right away. Uh, and I think that uh, this Masechet was really about relationships, right? Whether it's within a marriage, whether it's with your neighbor, right? If you get in a fight and you say, I'm never stepping foot in your house again, that's not how you, um, you know, have a good relationship. And I think that this Masechet is trying to teach us, um, as, as I mentioned before, right? Our words have meaning, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names, right? Words will never harm me, I think that's the opposite of our Masechet, right? Words are very harmful, and we have to be very careful with how we use our words. Um, I think that uh, when I was learning this, uh, when I was learning this with, uh, I taught this daf this morning with my group, uh, some of the members of my group suggested other ideas, right? This idea of um, this Masechet trying to understand human nature, right? What did you try to what do you really mean when you're saying the following words, um, right? Another a beautiful idea someone said in my group, um, the fact that uh, right, a, a woman was saying how it was really bothering her that the husband had the power or the ability or the control um, to um, revoke his wife's vow. Uh, and, and she actually said it dawned on her that maybe the power to revoke it is really um, the Gemara saying you need to listen to what your wife is saying, right? Listen to the words that she's saying. And it's, it's not just in the air, right? Or in the heat of the moment, but listen to her. What is she trying to say, right? And what, is she, um, what does she think about our relationship, right? And I think that um, it does create a, a, a connection. And uh, I, I think it's just interesting to think about um, what, what this Masechet, right? What are some of the lessons that we learned? So I wanted to hear, I don't know if you, you want to open up and unmute if you want to tell me your thoughts. Um, I see Lynn wrote in the comments, those are very important. We need to keep the fear of Hashem with us and in us. This keeps the peace. Thus the stern ending. It could be, right? It could be that the ending of this Masechet is saying, um, we have to be very careful with what we say and what we do. Um, and and uh, in the end, it, it does really matter. Uh, so I wanted to hear maybe some of your thoughts. Does someone want to share something? Aliza, yeah. I think that, I think that the Mishnah did 
end up on a positive note. And you drew that out when you said they're doing everything they can to try to help people keep those relationships. Because nowadays, I'm more than half people don't even try anymore. And the young people aren't even willing to get married. Right? So so it, it was a it was a good ending. It was. Okay, great. I like the fact that it's uh, that you, that your whoever you learned with uh, turned it around and said the husband needs to listen to the wife. I think that's you know the different perspective, it's a different way of thinking of it. I also thought that. I also thought. I think that definitely as women learning this masachet, I, I I'll say that there were parts that were challenging uh, when we feel like. Um, certain people have, again, I, 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 I don't know if you noticed, but when I taught it, I didn't use the word control. I used the word ability um, because I, I think that um, it could be seen as control. Um, but again, I think that from um, the, the eyes of women learning these ideas, I think it's interesting to think about what could be uh, behind this idea, right? It's not... Again, I don't think the Torah or the Gemara wants to say that A can control B. Uh, I don't think that's the way we view any of our relationships. Uh, I think there always seems to be, right, in a marriage, ezer kenegdo, right, a helpmate. We do not view it as, you know, superior, inferior. And I think it's interesting to kind of think about how can we understand these laws uh, through that lens. So I would definitely, uh, I think it's interesting mm-hmm. to think about it that way. I wanted to add one more thing. It's a, you know, if you want to turn it around and say how forward thinking uh, the Gemara is, then then you can see that basically the women have another parachute. They have another way of getting out of what they said when the men don't have that. Exactly. exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. Yes. I love that. Beautiful. Well, uh, first of all, oh, yes. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, go ahead. You can say it in your own words. (laughs) The the woman has an out. Correct. The woman does have an out. Yeah, that's all. Correct, correct. Um, So I want to wish you all a mazal tov uh, for finishing, right, 91 daf of Masechet Nedarim. Kola kavod. Those of you who have been doing this since the beginning, uh, we've been doing this for three years. Uh, it's really amazing. I hope you are all celebrating with your family members, uh, having a party, uh, having a lachaim. Definitely do something. I always encourage everyone uh, to make a siyum. I think it's extremely important um, to celebrate and inspire those around you. Uh, so wishing you all a mazal tov. Uh, As I mentioned, next class, we're actually going to meet on Sunday. Uh, I will send the, I will send a, an email on Friday before Shabbat, giving you the details. Um, I will be giving a, an, um, an introduction to Masachet Nazir and we will, um, and we will, uh, be doing, uh, this week's uh, Nazir. So, uh, looking forward to learning with you on Sunday. Uh, and Bezrat Hashem, the week after, we will go back to Tuesdays. Uh, have a great week, everyone. Thank you, Reverend. Thank you.